Breaking news. Hey everybody, Scott Kovner here with some MRAP breaking news about monkeypox. You've heard about it on the news, probably in your Facebook feed, maybe in your own emergency department. And we're going to sit down with Greg Moran, ID expert extraordinaire, to learn, is this something we should be worried about? Is this something that we're going to see a lot more of? Is this the next giant pandemic? I hope not. As a fun fact, monkeypox is not the only animal plus pox virus. You've probably heard of cowpox, smallpox, rabbitpox, pseudo-cowpox. Got a lot of poxes out there. Let's sit down with Greg and find out what we need to know. Yeah, I, I did not have monkeypox on my 2022 bingo card, but uh, here we are. Here we are. So I've heard of chickenpox. I've heard of smallpox. What exactly is monkeypox? Monkeypox is another orthopox virus. So it's in the same family as smallpox virus. There are a number of other pox viruses. Uh, vaccinia uh, causes chickenpox, or I'm sorry, vaccinia is the vaccine strain. It's a vaccine strain of cowpox, which is another orthopox virus. Vaccinia is in that same family as well. Varicella was what I was trying to say before is chickenpox. So that one is another pox virus, different genus, but it, it is in the same family of pox viruses. There are a few other pox viruses out there like Molluscum contagiosum, some of which are fairly common. Monkeypox is a virus that has only really been known to humans as a specific thing since 1958, I believe was the first description of it. It is endemic in some parts of Africa. It's thought that primates and some African rodents can be a reservoir for it, but uh, we rarely see it outside of Africa. And so what's unusual now is that there's this outbreak going on in a lot of places around the world in a similar time frame. And so that, that's what's brought it into the news is that it's popping up in all these different places in Europe, in the United States, in places where it's not normally endemic. And even though historically we've dealt with a few little, you know, point outbreaks here and there in the U.S., this is the first time that we've seen a bunch of kind of sporadic cases coming up in different areas of the U.S. Totally. And I think as of today, Friday, June 3rd, around the world, there's about a little over 200 laboratory confirmed cases about 120 suspected cases worldwide. And then the U.S., I believe we're on the order of like 20 cases in 11 states. Is that about right? Yeah, that's that's the latest data is about 20 cases. Uh, we just had our first one in L.A. County just a few days ago uh, here where I am. But we've had some cases in the U.S., but there are a lot more in Europe. Uh, Great Britain, I think, is something like 200-something cases now. So there are other parts of the world that have had many more than we have. So how exactly is monkeypox transmitted? Is, you said it's you know, similar or related to smallpox. Is it kind of respiratory droplets, that sort of thing again? Or are we looking at something different this time? It's primarily transmitted by direct contact. So direct contact with skin lesions, uh, with skin of people who have it. It's thought that it can be transmitted respiratory through respiratory droplets. It's not super highly contagious. It's, it's nowhere near as contagious as uh, varicella, for example, as chickenpox is. Uh, it's not nearly as contagious as COVID is, the other virus that's spreading around right now, which is very highly contagious by respiratory droplets. But it, it is felt that it can be spread by contact, close respiratory contact in the proximity of somebody for some period of time. But it's not, it's not the kind of thing that you're going to get it by, you know, walking by somebody on the street who may be carrying it, for example. Unlike COVID, which can be spread that way, very unlikely with monkeypox. 
So when we're potentially encountering cases in the emergency department or suspected, is this your typical PPE airborne precautions setup that we're, we're advising right now for suspected cases? Yes, you should use. Certainly contact is, is the most important thing. So gloves, gowns, uh, mask, uh, face mask recommended that you have an N95. Patients should be put in an individual room with a closed door. It doesn't have to be a negative pressure room. It's not felt that this can be spread effectively via aerosol. So you don't need a negative pressure room, but it is recommended you put them in, a, in an individual room with the door closed. And certainly gown, glove, mask, all those things before going in to touch or talk to the patient. And we're out screening for this. What are some of the signs and symptoms here? I'm going to assume because uh, pox is in the name, we're going to get some skin findings. But is there a characteristic development of the rash from like you know, centripetal spread, something like that we should be aware of? So, yeah, the, a fever and a rash are generally the symptoms. Now, there is a prodrome that is a very generic kind of viral-like syndrome where people feel achy, feel kind of run down, you know, may have a fever in those early prodromal stages. And of course, at that stage, nobody's going to make this diagnosis because there are, you know, many, many, many other things that are way more common that are going to do that. So unless somebody has had a specific known exposure to monkeypox, we're not going to be working up everybody with a fever and feeling achy for this. But once they do get a rash, then it, it tends to cause, unlike chickenpox that comes in crops, this is more similar to smallpox where they're more uniform. Uh, they do tend to be more on the peripheral parts of the body. And typically the first lesions are in the mouth. So that may be something to tell people to watch out for if there's been an exposure, for example, or if you just want to tell them what to watch out for if they have some <laughs> nonspecific viral syndrome. Like many of these things, it starts out as kind of a macule, just a spot that grows into a papule where it's kind of raised, will then develop into a vesicle, pustule, and then as that opens and drains and it scabs over. So the progress of the lesions is similar to chicken pox, but they do tend to be like smallpox at the same age throughout and a little more peripheral. They tend to be more on the extremities and on the face relative to being on the trunk. Gotcha. And I know throughout all of training, essentially, whenever there's a conversation about chickenpox, smallpox, big warning is if you see all of these like vesicular lesions in the same stages of healing, like you got to be pretty aware and be pretty cautious that you could be dealing with something that's other than chickenpox. Since both monkeypox and smallpox share that characteristic, is there anything else clinically that helps us differentiate those? Like, God forbid we're in a situation where we're differentiating smallpox from monkeypox, but the, honestly, there really is no no way clinically to for a clinician to distinguish between them. I mean, I none of us living now have any experience treating smallpox cases, so I can't yeah. say I have any experience with either one of these. Just, you know, probability-wise right now, because we know monkeypox is out there, smallpox still exists in a couple of top-secret labs in the world, but is not endemic anywhere. But either way, if you suspect if you see lesions that are going to look like either one of these, you're clearly going to be getting your health department involved. Get your immediately get your local infection control people involved, and they will be contacting the health department, or you can contact your health department. They will guide you through this, and you know, hopefully, unless we see some you know bioterrorism event where where there's a smallpox released, that's not really something that we are seeing now. So if you see this then far more likely it's going to be monkeypox. And that's going to be the focus when the assessment is being done and the public health investigation is being done. Thankfully so. And that leads into really great to the next question I had for you. You know, if you come across a suspected case in your emergency department, your urgent care, 
obviously identifying and, and calling those public health professionals in your area of practice to get a reporting mechanism in place and, and further guidance is important, but directly that patient, we're isolating them and also keeping tabs of all the staff who interact with that patient. Is that our practice, what we should be doing on that first initial encounter? Yes. So first step, as we already talked about, get them in a private room, close the door, uh, make sure anybody going in there has the right protective equipment on, uh, make a note of anybody they were exposed to, any, you know, the nurse who did the triage, for example, anybody who has touched them or has been in close proximity, the health department is going to want to know that. So it would be good up front to take an inventory, take a snap of your screen so you know who's in the waiting room, who you know, may have had contact with the patient at the same time, because they may want to, at a minimum, notify those people to watch for symptoms. And then you're going to be contacting your local infection control person at your hospital. And either you can call your local health department, you know, where I am in Los Angeles, we have a very large and robust health department locally here. For a lot of places, it's going to be your state health department that you're going to be contacting. And they will generally be the ones that will be then contacting CDC and, and getting help and advice from them coordinating for testing and those types of things. Perfect. And for right now, right, the only testing available is basically a send out PCR for those high-ranking laboratories that are capable of testing for it. This is not something your your local department should be testing or has the capabilities at this point. Correct. That's, this is not something that e- even most state labs, uh, I don't believe at this point, would have any capability of testing. Right now, it would be coordinated through your local health department or state health department, wherever is your go-to where you practice. They will coordinate for specimen collection, et cetera. Now, they may not be sending people to actually get the specimen. They may be relying on the practitioners on the front line to do that. And generally, it's going to be a, you know, a, a typical viral swab is usually what they're going to be recommending. And uh, you'll want to unroof one of the lesions, get a sample of it. They'll walk you through this. So this is not something that anybody is going to be doing on their own. You're you're going to be in very close contact with your health department, and they will give you guidance on exactly what type of specimen, what type of swab to use, how to collect it, how to package it up, all of those kind of things to keep yourself safe and everybody else safe. And in these suspected cases, so what are we counseling patients about? You know, I, I know, thankfully, the mortality of monkeypox is low. What other complications, things that we need to inform them about? And ultimately, are we just dispositioning these suspected cases back home to self-quarantine? Or is it going to be more on a case-by-case basis with the Department of Public Health? You're definitely going to be coordinating with public health on disposition. Most of them, I think, could safely go home. I guess this this is not a super highly contagious thing. They will certainly make an assessment of, is this person reliable to isolate at home? Presumably, anybody in the home has already been exposed and is already going to be monitored. So you'll be coordinating that aspect of it with the health department. And as you mentioned, fortunately, the mortality is very low. Now, it has been reported in Africa, maybe up to 10% mortality, but that's in areas where there's a lot of malnutrition and a lot of comorbid disease and not a lot of health care. So, you know, it's, it's felt that in a developed country, the mortality from this should be exceedingly low, if not zero. The vast majority of people recover uneventfully. Uh, though it does take several weeks to completely recover from this. But for the most part, they'll run through the course of illness. They'll feel ill for, you know, maybe a week with fever and aches and those kind of things. And like chickenpox and other things, as the lesions kind of go through their papule to vesicle to pustule to scabbed over thing, and eventually when the scabs fall off is when they're felt to be no longer contagious. 
So they really just have to do supportive care, Tylenol, ibuprofen, those kind of things, and let it run its course. Because that's the one plus side here is there's a very obvious visual cue for when you're no longer uh, contagious to other people. Now, there are some treatments that are available for it. The, now, of course, all of these are considered experimental. There's no, you know, really proven. We don't have a lot of clinical trials on monkeypox and, and the treatments for them. There are some antiviral medicines um, like sodofavir is one that's available that's used in some cases for uh, CMV retinitis that actually is available and out there in pharmacies, et cetera. And there are some other treatments as well. There is the vaccine. There are a couple of smallpox vaccines out there. Now, I'm old enough to have been vaccinated against smallpox when I was young. And so those of us who are old enough to have been vaccinated, they stopped giving that, I believe, in like the 1980s. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't make the cut there, so I yeah. don't, I don't you, have that you, on board. You youngins, uh, you know, it's one advantage, one small advantage of being older, I guess. It does confer some immunity. Now, I was vaccinated when I was a little kid. That was many years ago. So probably there will be some waning immunity to that. And actually, smallpox vaccine is one of the few vaccines that can actually be protective even after exposure. So if there were, for example, a smallpox outbreak due to a bioterrorism thing, I remember this was a big debate years ago. Should we offer vaccination to people or not, you know, just on the event that it might happen? And generally, the consensus was no, because this is one of those vaccines that even after exposure, you can give it. So if there were an outbreak, that might be a strategy that, that might be useful to, uh, to do it, to vaccinate just as needed for a local outbreak or cluster. But it's not routinely recommended to, to be doing that. And again, any treatment, any recommendation for specific treatment, you're going to be doing that along with your local infection, you know, your public health department who can coordinate with CDC for advice. Really, that would likely only be recommended for people who are markedly immunosuppressed, people who would have risk of having a worse outcome other than just the usual course of just running its course and uh, symptomatic treatment. That's all really helpful. Thank you so much, Greg. Is there anything else that you'd like us to know, things that you might think we'd find interesting about monkeypox? I mean, I think it's a huge missed opportunity in the 50s. They should have called it primate pox, got that alliteration in there. Yeah. They didn't have the branding uh, consultants that I guess probably would have been all over it today. Yeah. So yeah, it's, you know, this is not the first monkeypox outbreak in the U.S. There was one, interestingly, back in uh, the early 2000s that was eventually, tra it, it happened in several cities and several states across the U.S. It was, I don't remember the exact number of people. It was not a lot. It was maybe 10 cases, something like that. And it was eventually traced to pet prairie dogs that had been kept in a warehouse somewhere next to some animals that had been imported from Africa. And it was thought that they had cross-contaminated these prairie dogs that were then sent out to various pet shops or pet distributors or whatever. I don't know where you go to get a pet prairie dog or why you would have a pet prairie dog for that matter. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one reason not to have a pet prairie dog is that they could give you monkeypox, or at least they did in that case. So there, are, there have been some interesting historical outbreaks uh, related to monkeypox. You know, one of the things that's, that has been noted epidemiologically about this current outbreak is a large number of the people who have been involved in these outbreaks in the U.S. and elsewhere have been among men who have sex with men or people who have been close contacts of those individuals. So it's thought at least that has played some role in the spread of this particular outbreak right now. So that particular demographic, if you see them with some nonspecific viral illness, then you know, in addition to HIV and some of the other viral illnesses that would be more prevalent in that population, then this would be one. So it would be, you know, perhaps worth considering as a, a 
maybe higher possibility in that demographic. Well, thank you so much, Greg. This has been awesome. I know our listeners are going to absolutely love getting this information, certainly on everyone's minds, and hopefully just stays there for a moment in time and then quickly goes away. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lose sleep over this one. I, I don't think this one is going to blow up like COVID. Uh, you know, I, I think it will probably end up being kind of an interesting side note, but I, I don't think it's likely that we're going to be seeing you know huge numbers of cases that are going to be uh, deluging our emergency departments or anything. Well, thank you so much, Greg. That was awesome information and a quick summary for all of us with a short attention span like myself at home. So if you have a patient coming into your emergency department, urgent care, fever, new rash, already you should be thinking, is this something we need to isolate them for? If they've got vesicles, pustules on the extremities, on the face, absolutely they should be put into isolation. This is going to be contact and airborne precautions. And we got to get in contact with our local Department of Public Health to find out the specific rules, regulations for your area of practice in order to report this potential case and order the confirmatory PCR testing. And then we're going to make a quick list of all the people in contact with the patient so we can also report those folks and they can trend their symptoms at home. But you can let the patient know that this is generally a self-limited illness, very low chance of mortality, very low chance of complication, and you'll be able to most likely have them go home and continue quarantining. That's all we got for you today on our MRAP Breaking News. 